Thank you for listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from one of our Kingdom Conferences. I, I love doing, we've been doing uh, regional conferences for, I don't know what year was it, Cindy, 15, 2015, 2014, when we first, I think it's 2015 when we did our first one. Um, one of the things that's heavy on our heart is this, is it's not just a local body of believers but the responsibility that we have of having the regional body of believers that's able to come together in family and really establishing a, a table for us to sit together in fellowship to be able to hear what the Lord is doing throughout the region and to really take ownership together of this region. And so I see so many of your friends and so this is a really uh, amazing time for us. And um, I want you to hear is today we're, we're really looking to establish a seat of authority. I'm not placing myself on the seat of authority, and this is legacy's seat of authority. No, no, this is Jesus' seat of authority in the region. When you have the body, those who have been called together, sent ones to this region. How many in this room, you, you lived in another part of the world or nation, and God sent you to this region in the last few years? So I mean, just look around. There's a bunch of people in this region that were sent here. So you were sent here for a purpose. Well, we'll borrow you for a little bit, Charlie. <laughs> but you were sent here for a purpose. And so I just, like, to me, this is going to be out of all the conferences we've done. I think one we're going to look back on in the years to come and say, there was ground zero for when the transformation turned. Like there was a turning point that happened because all of a sudden you guys got equipped at a different level to not just do business on the earth, but to do business as it is in heaven into the earth. And, and uh, Moses says this, the one thing that separates us, your people, from the rest of the, of the peoples of the world is your presence. And so we have to learn how to place here where we're standing on the earth so we can bring that transformation and we're going to see it too. So um, I'm, it's my honor to be able to, to welcome uh, a dear brother of mine, Charlie Coker. He is, I, I don't know how to, there's so many stories I could tell about Charlie, but here's the one. I'll just tell you this, um, he has a heart of compassion for people, unlike I've seen many places. He's a prophet, but he's a prophet who's gone to the courts, he's gone to the, the, the seat of mercy and pleaded on the behalf of people, and rest, I've seen him restore people, I've seen him stand in the fire for people, and and then here's the thing for me, is is he's he stood there on my side and, and championed me in times that I needed it, and it's, and it's an honor too, so this has been a dream of mine, not just to uh, hold a conference, but to have my brother stand in this pulpit and release what he's going to do, so why don't you just do this, why don't you stand up with me, why don't you just give a warm honor and a welcome to Charlie Coker. out in a minute. First and foremost, thank you for, for inviting me. Where did he go? Thank you for letting him invite me. I know where seats of authority are and I'm talking to it. Um, I've, I've, I've got an assignment just to, to drop some real kingdom nuggets into the house. I'm going to tell stories. I'm going to prophesy. I've got some teaching. Um, this has been a journey for me, too. Um, I'm, I'm weird. Let's get that out of, off the table. I'm special. My wife said I rode the short bus when I was little. 
Um, I've been married 43 years last week. There's your miracle. Um, if you heard our story, um, we were on, my wife and I are on TBN tell, sharing our testimony. So I, anybody that comes into my church and says they want a divorce and say God can't heal it, I make them listen to your story. <laughs> so it works. Um, it's interesting that I, I got in worship last night here. And, and I have to tell you, um, the first thing that hit my heart was jealousy. I'm a pretty aggressive person. I don't like losing. And, and you guys got something. Um, I am a prophet. God trained me as a prophet. He trained me backwards. He trained me at this level, and then he wanted me to sh- shut my mouth and become loving and kind. And so he, he, he told me to start a church, and I argued with him. I'm like, there's not it for a while, so he made me go on a 40-day water-only fast. And for 39 days, I argued with him because I did not want to start a church. I do not have the skill set to start a church, and I think he's crazy. 40th morning, I woke up, and I'm like, you're not letting me off the hook, are you? He goes, nope. I said, what do I want? I don't know how to handle this. He goes, I'm a good Jew. Why don't you negotiate? So I said, the first thing you got to do is, number one, you got to prove to my wife that you're telling me to do it. He goes, done. <laughs> number two, I can't worship. Promise me I'll always have worshipers if I ever start a church. He says, done. Number three, I won't beg for money. The economy's coming down. My business is attached to the, to the building trade, and I'm not going to pay for it myself, and I don't have enough faith to trust you. Well, oh, anybody, oh, I'm sorry, you don't get honest with God. Let's get real. I didn't have the faith. So I said, I want all the money in the bank to pay all the bills for three and a half years, then I'll know you're serious. None of this faith crap. He negotiates. He said, done. Well, really? So I told my wife and my son, who I was in business with at the time, and they're like, well, you know, if God does that, we, he might be serious. Dreams. I said, absolutely. He says, well, I had a dream. Miss Eva, his wife, had a dream, the same dream, the same night. We were selling our shopping center, and we raised the price, and here's a lease that starts January 1st and a checking account with $225,000 to pay all the bills for three and a half years. I'm like, dang it, i got to be a pastor. I mean, I'm like, Really? And I said, well, I'll pray about it. <laughs> I got in the car, and my wife goes, you'll pray about it? I'm like, yeah. She goes, why didn't you tell him yes? I said, because I'm not going to let a rich man negotiate and manipulate me. So I waited. He called me two weeks later and said, so you're in disobedience to God because I know I've obeyed. I have the money in the bank. I don't give a flip what you do. I said, but Joe, I just, you know, I'm worried about manipulation. He said, dude, I don't even want to go to your dumb church. (laughs) So I I start my church. I'm like, okay, God, how do we do this? And he says, you do nothing for 40 days. Excuse me? Nothing. I'll give you instructions in this 40 days. So in the first 40 days of being a pastor with a building, all the bills paid, he says, the first and foremost, you're not allowed to use your prophetic gift to build my church. Excuse me? That's the only good thing I had about me. 
every, I had 160 people show up the first day we had services. I didn't prophesy, and two months later, they were down to like 12. Why? Because too many people were seeking the gift and not Christ. What he had to do to me is he shut the gift down. He taught me how to love people. Twelve years I didn't prophesy in my own church. I'm like, man, that was a long time. He said, yeah, it took you a long time to love my people. If you can't do it in love, you're useless. Catherine, is it Catherine? Come on up here. I need to prophesy over you. I got a word for her last night, and I realized laying in bed that it was actually a word for her and the church. Can you take that, church? I gave her a little bit of the word. I saw her when we were out at the property that looking, and she had like, what is that, scissors guy? Edward Scissors hands in one hand and a, and a uh, suture sewing up sutures in the other. And I saw her doing surgery with one hand and healing with the other. Did you hear me say something about ointment? Mm-hmm. All right. So now here's the real word. Your, your love is your attractant. It's in, in, and when God puts you around people, your love, it puts people to sleep. That thing, close. I'm a redneck. I don't talk well. That's your love, and it's so liquid on you. And that is your attractant. Listen, this is a corporate word, too. That's why people come to you. That's why people trust you. That's why you can do some surgery. You, 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 and you have the heart to sew them up. But your love is so liquid, and it has not turned into the bomb of Gilead because you don't love yourself in some areas. And we give our love away so much because we, we feel the love of God, but we really haven't settled the inside. He's going to heal that. And your liquid love, which you always have a portion of that for those, will turn into the bomb of Gilead. And when you stick it on their heart, it will heal the wound. It will do the work of the ministry that God's called you to. The, the, I heard this in prayer. He said, tell her the ifs, if, 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 when all the ifs and buts turn into candy and nuts, you'll have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> Quit second-guessing who God Quit second-guessing who God made you. Let your liquid love them. You see the things in their lives that need to be cut away. Heal them and then slap that grease of love that they can't rub off. All right. Now listen, that's, that's a, God said this is the church, this, this body. God's going to do the same thing to this body. Okay? Um. And so I'm looking around your house, judging you. And, uh, and I said, is this house got house of mamas? And I saw you last night. And the Lord, uh, 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 people brought you uh, adoption papers for spiritual kids that need a mama. And God says, you're a mama. You're not. That's a mama with a stick. <laughs> but, I, but I saw these papers being handed to you to adopt certain ones, and you wouldn't sign. You were waiting for Jesus himself to seal the paper. 
Because you know without his seal, you can't mama nobody into maturity. You can't mama nobody into healthiness without his seal. And that's why you're qualified to be a mama in the house. Listen, that's good stuff. Wish I could prophesy that over my church. (laughs) Then I I heard the Lord say, the woke spirit has and is invading my church. The issue is starting to manifest in the fact my people and leaders are getting offended by my truth. But it's my truth that will set us free. When your gift of righteousness is from me, then you will not be easily offended. Scripture is very clear. It says the righteous are not easily offended. And listen, some other questions I was asked last night. Um, Let me go ahead and finish the scripture for this. Uh, Ephesians 5, 11 through 14. Take no part in unfruitful things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, I say, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. So I really believe that, that you are going to be released an anointing in this house to counteract and destroy that woke thing. Because you're going to become awoke in Christ. You don't have to be offensive, but you can if you want to. Um, I'm going to share just a couple things to kind of set up what I believe I'm supposed to do here about the courts. Um, I have a 45-year-old son, a 38-year-old son. I've been married 43 years. My wife didn't like me, wanted to divorce me. I, could. I was so bad, an atheist businessman took me to lunch one day and said, hey, you know, I, I love doing business with you. You know how to make money or this. He said, but your world's coming apart. You're about to get divorced and lose everything. He says, I don't even believe in God, but I've heard Jesus help certain people. <laughs> so I had an atheist tell me I needed Jesus. <laughs> But I knelt down at a pool table, August of 1993, and I I made a prayer. I said, if you're the God of my mother, she said you had power. She said you had enough power that you could create a heart in a man, even if he was evil. I am a liar, a thief, a whoremonger. I am evil to the core, and I cannot be trusted. I will not walk the aisle and pray another sinner's prayer and be defeated from that moment on because I have an evil heart. If you're that God and you can give me a new heart, I give you one option. Heal me. I stood up and I went, that's all I got, man. I can't give more than 100%. Lightning went off in the room. Jesus came walking out from this lightning bolt, stood in front of me. He says, Charles Layton Coker Jr., you put your hand in my hand. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Some of you met sweet baby Jesus. I met the Lion of Judah. But I learned some things I had to recover. My wife was in adulterous relationships. I had been, then I got righteous and holy. Who instantly? That's not a good equation when you want to tell your wife the day after you get radically saved, you know, I just think what you're doing is wrong. And you're the one that took her there. Um, she knew that something had happened to me because I'd never loved her the way I loved her. But it was too late. She was done. What do you do when God promised to heal your marriage and you can't see it in the natural? And I'm like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to live holy? 
you know, I said, uh, you mean I can't do this anymore? I can't behave this way? I can't do that area of your life that you can't control. And I handed him my sexuality as an offering and an altar. I walked out of the shower, giving him my portion of my life that I'd never been able to, to maintain. Righteousness, and he robes me with his robes of righteousness. He said, it's my gift to you. Wear it like you stole it. And, and when I got into pressures and I got into things that I didn't think I had access to the things of God, number one, courts, that robe of righteousness gave me access to places I did not have prior. I would want to go be misbehaving. He would say, you know, righteous people don't act that way. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> so my wife was... hanging out with a rich guy, ticked me off, and I borrowed a car. I was sitting up underneath their bed, a bedroom window, about a $5 million house on the beach with a 44 Magnum, and listening to what they're doing. I said, I think I should shoot someone. He didn't think that was a good idea. And I heard that same voice that I met a few weeks earlier. Said, so do I, but the problem is I hold it against you, not her. Went back to my house, put the gun on the counter. Can you back that up in Scripture? And he said, sure. Hosea chapter 4, when your daughters commit whoredoms and your wives commit adultery, I will not hold it against them because you men went a-whoring after other gods. I had to own my sin. I had to own the sin of my wife. I had to own the sin of my children who wound up hooked on crack. I had to own the sin of my other kid who wound up stealing cars. And I had to learn how am I going to recover and get the promises that God gave me by wearing my robe of righteousness and showing up in the courts of heaven and doing, doing business with an adversary. That so that's my credentials. He says to me, <laughs> I need you to be a voice in the city to save it. He gives me Ecclesiastes 19. He says, there was a wise man that had the wisdom to save a city, but because he was poor, his words could not be heard. I, I took that as I can't be poor. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Huh? Money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the, of the air will carry your voice and a winged thing will tell the matter. This church is going into a building program. You need money. Okay. You want me to go home? I used to accuse my wife of not being uh, very spiritual because I am so spiritual. And I was accusing her in my prayers. You know, God, you need to do something with this woman. He said, oh, you think she's not growing in her faith? And he says, go ask her how her checkbook is. So I walked back because we, we were in business together. I said, hey, how's, how's your checkbook? And she goes, we need to pray over it. I need $5,000 by Friday. I rebuked the devourer. I paid my tithes. Ah! Anybody done that? And I realized she's pretty, she's pretty spiritual. So... Me being the knucklehead, I don't learn real easy. So about four years later, our business has grown. I got a bunch of employees. I'm like, you know, she's not very spiritual. 
I should tell her, you can have a day off if you do a Bible study somewhere. I'm like, what an idiot. And the Lord says, she's not spiritual. Go ask her how her checkbook is. I walk back there and say, hey, baby, how, how, how's your checkbook? And she goes, whew, I need $96,000 by Friday. I'm like, oh, Jesus. And I'm like, man. You, she goes, it always shows up. Just pray. Where her faith grew in the area of her gifting in the city. Why? Because if you're broke and disgusted, no one's going to hear your voice, and God needs your voice to be heard. Listen, this is corporate and individually. There was one point my oldest son. So I went to the Lord. Lord, is that true? And he goes, yes, because you won't submit to your wife and have a budget. So he put me on lockdown, Jack. I couldn't give money away. I couldn't, I couldn't put God's name on it unless I had her permission. Do you know how humiliating that is? Why? He's covering my weakness. So I go into this coffee shop who is a Christian guy, and God says, are you an apostle? I'm like, I don't know what an apostle is. But if you say I am, I am. He said, good. He needs $1,000 today to pay his bills. So you pray it in. You're an apostle. I'm like, can I call Susie and get a grand? Can I steal it from my kids? No, pray it in. I sat there for four hours. I need a thousand dollars. I had to come, you know. After a while, you're like, man, this coffee's bad. <laughs> Friend of mine walks in the door, four hours. Sits down. I'm like, I'm looked at. I'm like, give me my money. I gotta leave this place. <laughs> what am I saying? I started, I had to learn my seat of authority. And so when a friend of, friend of ours went into business and said to my wife, I need help, I need help, and she goes and sits down with her, and, and, and she says, Laney, listen, when you get the principles of God in business, the only thing between me and difference between me and you is zeros. You're believing for a grand or two grand. I'm believing for a hundred grand. It's zeros. The problem is you're not zero yourself yet. Because you think it's your effort, not his. And she says, Laney, when you become the zero and he becomes everything, it comes together. It's just as, the, as the need you have as an individual home, as an individual person, and corporately as a church. I smell money in the place. I don't know if you know that or not. That was good. So I'm going to teach on the courts. Now, I don't know if you noticed that on the little brochure, Brian Higby's picture was above mine. He let me know that his picture was above mine. And I know because he's a five-star general. But I'd rather be a, the foundation of something. Instead of a billboard of grace. I don't know if you know it. He's my best friend, and I can get away with that. But we all have, we have Joel Thornton here. He is an attorney. I do have him on retainer. And so if we mess up this court stuff, he's going to fix it. And, and either one of them at any time will come and get the mic. Thank God my wife's not here because when I won't, she, she, told, she gets, grabbed the mic one day I was preaching. She goes, do you know he's a pilot? He just doesn't have to land anything. She says, y'all go home. 
How many, how many of you remember Alan Hawkins? He was just spent a week at my house. I thought it was beautiful. We finally became friends. We haven't liked each other for 10 years. Oh, do you realize that when you have the same father, you don't have an option who your brother is? What am I going to preach? I'm, I got, I got to do this. Listen, courts of heaven. When, when, Jay and, when Jay asked me, he had already talked to Higby, and Higby had already volunteered me. And I told Jay, Jay, I don't, I don't preach that stuff. I don't want to preach that stuff. And he, he believed me, but I was serious. Then Higby calls me. He goes, you idiot. You taught me how. Went through a crisis four weeks ago. Dude, I was in a crisis. I did not want to come and preach this. And, and here's the reason why. I, I was taught bass backwards. I would go into a region, and he would teach me how the kingdom works. I operated in very high levels. I sat in courtrooms over cities that I took responsibility for and made decisions whether pastors lived or died, lost their ministries or not, from a courtroom level. And, and being the egomaniac I am, I thought everybody should do that. Not everybody's qualified because most people won't take responsibility enough to get that access. So for years, I wouldn't preach it. I would share it to some of my friends. And I, I felt it was a disservice. Yeah, yeah, I, sorry. And so when this comes up, I'm like, I'm in a moral crisis. We're basic Christian principles. He goes, son, what you do is the same basic principle at a higher level of responsibility. When my principles start... They never change. And so I started dealing with it, and it's a simple teaching that helped me with entry level what the courts is. Because I used to say, well, I don't, we don't do courts. I'm like, okay, so you sin. You told a lie. The Holy Spirit comes to you and says, you need to repent. You go, I ain't doing it. I know, no one does that. After you tell God no about three or four times, Condemnation comes in. Conviction is relationship. If you resist the conviction, the devil comes in with condemnation. Why? Because now he's got paperwork on you. So now Jesus and the Father are going, ooh, she's all out of bag of chips. Let's just drop some blessing down to her. Devil goes, can't do it. I legally have proof. She's a liar. So you get tired of the condemnation. You get wore out because you have no breakthrough. And you finally get right with Jesus and say, what is the stoppage here? He goes, you won't repent of that lie. Oh, Jesus just forgives me. No, it's a courtroom exchange. It's that simple. Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 7. I'm going to get serious and be done here because I don't want my attorney to take over. Me and Joel are driving down the road one day, and he goes, you know why God put me in your life? I was like, why? And he goes, you're going to need me one day. <laughs> Zechariah 3, this is, my, when this is my call to Scripture. When he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. O Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. 
Is not this the brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on my head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by, and the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who stand here. The level of authority God gives you will be in direct correlation to the level of responsibility you take. I took responsibility of my wife's sin and owned it as the priest and repented as if I did that. The paperwork came off of her eyes. She started to see clearly the error of her way. It worked. We've been married 43 years now. When my son got hooked on crack cocaine, Psalms 37. And I would take my righteous robe and go into the courts and, and, and do damage to the enemy. But the devil had told me that because of his drug addiction, the promises of God couldn't happen. Well, now I got redneck in me. Don't, you, you, you don't challenge the promise of God. But the problem is that I didn't go to the courts immediately. I tried to do stupid spiritual warfare instead of actually going to the courts and dealing with it. I wanted to deal with the devil instead of letting God deal with the devil. And so one morning I'm praying in that same demon spirit that said that my boy is addicted and he's going to die I came into agreement with it, and God broke through, and he says, now that you've come into agreement with a devil and your boy's going to die, are you man enough to get his friend saved at his funeral? Now that you've come into agreement with a devil, go and get his friend saved. The first thing I had to do was break my agreement. The second thing I had said, you promised. Tell me that ain't a courtroom setting. By the way, he's 45 years old. He's uh, very successful. (laughs) Very successful. I wish I had his money. His mama wishes I had his money. It's funny because he, he went to an all-black college on a baseball scholarship. That culture receives drug addicts better than most. He had gotten set free, loves God. And, 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 and one night the Lord says, hey, I need, I need you to give up your parental rights and let another man father him for a season because of the relational damage. And Dr. Af- uh, African-American Dr. James Brooks heard the voice of God when he walked through, and he says, there's your son, treat him like your own, and he mentored him for four Taramaic, Greek, and Hebrew. I don't know whose kid he is. <laughs> Long story short, he's just finishing up a, a PhD. He works for uh, the ninth largest financial company with 
over 45,000 employees, and he's writing all the training program for leadership. I'm looking at the deck. I'm like, man, there's a lot of, there's biblical principles in here. And he goes, where do you think I got it? And he says to me, he says, Dad, do you realize I'm influencing 45,000 employees? He says, yeah. And he goes, my church is bigger than yours. So, three dimensions of prayer. Jesus put prayer in three different dimensions, father, friend, and judge. The first dimension of, of approaching God as father is found in Luke eleven eighteen. Holy Spirit reveals the fatherhood of God, heals our wounds, comforts us. We fall in love with the father and come into greater revelation of how deeply the father loves us. So the first dimension of prayer is approaching God as father. In, here's the problem. This is the reason this, this message is ministering to me after telling Jay no and Brian no. Because I had father issues in the natural. As a prophet, for years, I would go to God to get an assignment and never walk with him in the garden. I like that judging thing. To black and white, call your sin out and be glad about it. That doesn't work. They don't invite you back when you do that. And so I'm going to this, this, but Lord, you showed it to me. <laughs> My mom said to me before she died, she goes, baby, I know you got a gift and you have a secret place with God. Would you please keep it a secret until you can back it up in Scripture? So I'm walking in authority. I'm walking, but I'm, I'm taking God out of contents and only getting instruction as a judge. And, and he starts calling me on it because he he's, he's wooing me to heal me. Supposing that I'm not a spiritual orphan. He's wooing me into the garden. And he's exposing that I'm not loving, that I'm not kind. And I have this great seat of authority. I'm functioning in those levels. But I'm, I'm, in, I'm in conflict with my behavior. I'm in conflict with my relationship with God as Father. And I weeping one day, and I said, Jesus, how do I, how do, I do this? And he says, I've given you the seat of authority. I said, but why am I doing this? He said, son, you keep turning it into the seat of the scornful. Well, how do I quit? He says, I'll give you how. He takes my seat of authority, he turns it upside down, and Jesus drives three nails through the bottom of the seat. He puts it back up, and these things are sticking up about this far. He says, sit down. When you can feel my nail prints on your behind, you will judge in love. So we go to the Father for our personal needs. But not just, if you only know him as judge, you're a black and white angry prophet or just mean. He's a father and he loves us. You know, one of the things I had these encounters, my, my father died three years ago and uh, I started having encounters in heaven with my dad. My dad's taught me more about God since he's dead than when he was alive. He's better. I'm telling my oldest sister some of the encounters I'm having with my father in heaven and the great cloud of witnesses. And my oldest sister, she goes, I don't want to talk to you anymore about dad. She goes, I go, why? She says, because mine's still a jerk and yours is perfect now. I said, oh, then stay a victim. 
She doesn't talk to me anymore. So your first, your first relationship in prayer is God as a father. Luke 15, uh, Luke 11, 5 and 6. And he said to them, which one of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for my friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. The second dimension of prayer is approaching God as a friend. Your intercession is you're going to God as a friend on behalf of a friend. You go to God the Father for your needs. You go to, to God as a friend for the, for, for the needs of others. We good? <laughs> we are in a position of intercession at that, at, at that point there. Luke 18, 1 through 8, remember that crazy woman who, who went to the unrighteous judge because she had an adversary? Say the word adversary. When you have an adversary, a lot of times, like, first of all, Many of us don't recognize the adversary at work because we have a bad identity of who we damage. We think we deserve all this crap. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Junk. My wife's not here. Junk. But, but I'm telling you, God wants to heal our identity that we're his child. You, you know, since my wife isn't here, let me tell you a story. I was, I was preaching about Jesus on the cross. And, and I have this lady who's been in my church about a year and a half. They've been pastors. She's 50-something years old. And, and I was talking about the finished work of the cross and, and how Jesus, you know, not only did he just take away your sins in the ground, but he was naked on the cross, testicles and all. My wife's like, oh, my God. You know, she's back in the back. I can't believe it was that bad. I was like, no. The reason he was naked was because... In that culture, the worst shame is to show your nakedness. So I'm preaching. Some of you have been forgiven of your sin, but you're still carrying shame of your past. And he wants to heal that. And I said it and all. He ripped me. You're supposed to be polishing your language. and I'm like, God told me to say it. God didn't tell you to say that. I should be nicer. God didn't tell you to say that, sweetie. So when, when you have these, these woulda, shoulda, couldas in your heart, it's actually a form of shame. So this lady calls me at 4 o'clock. Thank you, Jesus, I was right. And said, Pastor, when you said that, shame that I was carrying for 50 years fell off me. I saw it. I've been carrying this. I knew Jesus forgave me, but I've been carrying this hidden shame. And I went home and told my husband, I put a baby up for adoption 52 years ago. It was a boy, and I've been ashamed. I'm not ashamed anymore. Jesus forgave me of my sin, and I'm not ashamed anymore. And they're having church. They get a phone call from her older son from Nebraska. Said, Mama, I got a question for you. Did you? Within the day, she talked to the baby she gave up. What, what paperwork? Does the devil still have on us that is hindering this life relationship with God Almighty trying to bless us? And so when I dealt with the shame, she went to the courts and took the paperwork out. I'm not ashamed. I know I'm forgiven. And because I'm forgiven, I'm holy, I'm righteous. And I'm not afraid to tell my husband. It was before him anyway. Like that. That's what gets released in the courts.
when the adversary has paperwork on you. Here's, here, how many have promises from God? How many are getting tired because you're not seeing them? Go deal with the paperwork. God's not a liar. He didn't lie to me when he told me he was going to heal my marriage. But I had to go deal with the very root causes that the devil die of drug. He would be in business and ministry with me. He didn't lie to me that my youngest son was going to be healthy and, and, and live right. And he was stealing cars. Then he became a cop. Why? Because I dealt with his paperwork. We give up our seats of authority because they're 18 now. They ain't got a brain at 18. That ding-dong kid. I'm praying one day, and the Lord says, how long are you going to tolerate that boy living with that girl? I'm like, I can handle it. Watch this. So I said to him, I went, actually, can't, I, I'm like, you're 18. You're not living in my house. You come to get a check from mom. Are you big baby? I ain't paying your bills to get his teeth cleaned. Be an adult. That's how this conversation started. I said to him, I said, this girl you're playing house with, you know she's got a demon. You're just playing house. How long do you think I'm going to let you do this? Because I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for choose to do it right and marry her, then I can get her saved, or I'll blow this thing up. Dad, you're meddling. No, I'm, promise me, I will blow this thing up. So he called his theologian brother to try and find a biblical issues against me. And I told him real quick, oh, it ain't the first time you've seen me do it to you. I said to him, I said, listen, I'm not blessing you anymore. I'm going to pray a different prayer. I said, you either marry her or you'll bury her. Oh, now you're threatening to watch me. About two weeks later, I heard something happened. Because they, they talk to my wife when I get like that. He comes to my house and sits down in my chair. Daddy, does heaven just do what you tell it to do? I'm like, yes. You're just now figuring that out. Yes, they do. Why? I have authority. You're my seed. He goes, we got in the fight. And I saw that demon in her eyes. She took a knife and tried to stab me. I had to defend myself. I had to throw her to the ground. I had to kick her out. I said, you got to go. I said, well, my dad's going to have you killed. And she said, is he in the mafia? No, he's a preacher. <laughs> I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Listen, have you been given the gift of righteousness? Are you taking that gift and going to the proper courts to defend the adversary that's stealing your blessing that God promised you? This works. Courtrooms are a place of conflict. What's the conflict? First and foremost, most of, the, most of the conflict is in my emotions first. So I have to deal with those first. But the conflict after the internal one's dealt with, and it's usually, you know, limber up your repenter. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I plead the blood on me. I get right first. 
I become innocent before God. Listen, the finished work of the cross is this. Um, Jesus forgives us of our sin. He sheds his blood. And the last thing he says is what? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's declaring you're innocent. And if you don't think you're innocent, you'll never be childlike and crawl up in the lap of God. When you crawl up in daddy's lap, he starts going, hey, remember that promise I gave you? Yeah. Why don't you have it? That's not on his side of the fence. It's on mine. Somewhere the enemy's got paperwork. Somewhere the enemy's got a, a, a case against me. Somewhere I, listen, do you know every, hey, attorney, what happens when you don't show up in court? You lose. What happens when you're dealing with the devil or you're dealing with an adversary? You lose because that is the judicial system of heaven that was birthed by the blood of Jesus that gives us the right to deal with the devil. That's good stuff. Revelations 12, 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, say accuser, of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have overcome him by? And the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives until death. Listen, I used to quote that and go tell my testimony of how I was a cheater and now I'm not and all this stuff. And the Lord said, you know, the devil's still kicking your butt because that's pride. Why don't you share what my testimony over you is and not yours? Because that is and that testimony. Why? The one in heaven where... Jesus says to the accuser, oh, he's submitting to my authority, not your authority, and my authority says it's already forgiven. Take the paperwork out of his hands. He's covered in the blood. That's the testimony. That's good. Because, <laughs> listen, I can give you a testimony, just bring hair up, just make your hair stand up, and then you're like, ooh, he needed Jesus. That doesn't do nothing when you're dealing with an adversary. Oh, it strokes your ego. You know what ego is, edging God out. When, when I was prophesying over Catherine, Catherine, that lady, s some of the stuff is we don't need the, the devil to be our accuser because we do it to ourselves. Some, some, some of that, like I said, I'm prophesying to her. She was, my, she was the one God picked out, but this is a corporate word. Some of this, this super liquid love you guys got, <laughs> you need to quit giving it away. You need to apply it and turn it into a, an ointment. I'm, I'm saying we, we, we need the liquid love. But listen, if that's all you do, you yourself isn't healed. And that's what God's trying to do here. You're talking about a, a hospital? Get this right. You'll have all the tools to heal anybody. Listen, I, I, I had a dream the other night, and the Lord says, you know, this thing he promised me years ago, I'm going to send people to you. What took you years, they'll do in months. What took you months, they'll do in weeks. It took weeks, to do in days. And many things will get by the power of your blessing. I'm seeing it activate now in my life. And that's what God's doing on the earth today.
is this. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. You're going to have to take some risk. You're going to have to take some risk. The blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, not, not loving our life unto the death, is when we walk into the third dimension of prayer, we're able to answer any and every accusation against us that the adversary would use to stop the full breakthrough that we, that we desire that is coming into our life. If someone files a suit against you, they have evidence against you. One night, the Lord says, I'm, um, get up. I want, I want you to do some warfare, some prayer, do some court work. I said, why? I ask questions. Why? I'd rather sleep. Because if this ain't worth my time, all right, I know. I negotiate. You don't. I do, man. I was given a $12,000 Rolex watch. I was given a custom Harley. Why? I negotiate well. <laughs> I don't have time for that story. The, the, the Lord, <clears throat> I said to the Lord, I said, why is everybody falsely accusing me right now? He says, I'm answering your prayer. Why? You said you wanted to mature. Well, I ain't praying that again. He said, son, when you know who you are and a false accusation comes, there's always enough truth in every false accusation that you improve. The devil never gives an accusation unless he has a thread of truth on you. <laughs> Catch this. So the Lord says, I want, I'm trying to promote you, so, so come do some. So I'm sitting there, and, and, you know, this preacher in New York doesn't like me, curses me. I'm like, okay, I just ask for forgiveness for that. And, you know, there's, you know, an hour later, I'm like, an hour later, I'm like, is there anybody like me? Have I just irritated every Christian leader? Because these are all Christian word curses. So I get past it, and there's this pastor that I had only met like one time for two minutes, but the guy I was with, he hated. So he cursed me. And so I'm like, all right, I know how to do this. Dear Lord, forgive me for, for, for offending Scott Lowmaster, and I can name him because we're friends now. And I said, but that's kind of, I, I don't know this guy. He says, yeah, but he's already had accusations against you, and the devil took that accusation because he's a Christian. He's now used it against you that you're not liked in the Christian community, and I'm trying to open those doors for you. Are you catching this if you're going to be part of this region? You might want to repent for some sins of some churches that you've been sideways with or somebody who left your church. Get over it. Whew, that went over well. I felt that. But I'm trying to give you a, don't go into the courts with that kind of stuff. You get your butt kicked. you got to go in with that righteousness and knowing that you're dealing in a holy courtroom with a holy God. So these accusations come and accusations come. Then this accusation comes out of the blue against me that has to be four or five generations old. And I'm like, that's perverted. I'm bad, but I didn't do that. It was bad. I'm like, I've never owned a goat. And I got offended. I got offended at God. Why, in the, why am I repenting for something so perverted and so bad? And he said, he said to me, you know how this works, but you have such a negative attitude, you always take it in the negative. Turn this into a positive. I'm like, 
How do you turn that into a positive? He says that the devil had current paperwork on you, he would use it. He went four generations into your bloodline to stop my blessing. That's a positive, son. I'm like, dang it. You can deal with your lineages. Higby's got the very inheritances from God over your forefathers going back generations that have been sitting dormant and you can bring them into your life. Why? Because they're sitting there and nobody honored them. You can't have what you don't honor, but what you honor, you can have. I found some godly stuff in my forefathers that I said, I want it. I cleaned up some stuff too. Why? This is where the courts work. This is where the courts work. Why? Because God is a generational God. Genesis 4, 9, when Cain kills Abel, God comes to Cain and says, where is Abel, your brother? Cain says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? That was the wrong answer. We're supposed to be our brother's keeper. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. That's Genesis 4, 9. If you're going to play at the regional level, you need to tune your ear to hear blood cry. Broken covenants, wars, racism, political garbage. When you can hear the blood cry, you can take that cry to the courts of heaven and repent for it, and then you get authority, and you get the release that's being held up by it. In my, near my church, I said, Lord, what is some of the hold up there? There was a slave trade uh, facility right on the St. John's River, like two miles from my church. I heard the blood cry. I repented for it. Two days later, an African-American man shows up at my church, gets absolutely wrecked by God, tells the testimony. He was at that bridge. I was going to commit suicide. And I heard my wife go, I met this preacher last week. We need to go hear him. He'd been fed that was crying out in the land just a few miles from my church. That is where you do it. It's these court systems. And as you'll take responsibility, you'll go from just entry level to levels of responsibility. Six things the blood of Jesus is speaking. The blood of Jesus prophesies. The blood of Jesus speaks for our forgiveness. The blood of Jesus testifies in the courts of heaven. The blood of Jesus testifies against the accusations of Satan. Number five, the blood of Jesus speaks of Jesus' faithfulness and legal nature. The blood of Jesus speaks of Jesus' passion for the people of God to win for the lamb the reward spilled it for to become a reality in our lives. Hmm? Get the tape. The blood of blood of Jesus prophesies. I experienced that one time when there was this man that I knew was, he had some issues in his life. And the Lord says, I need to, I, I need to, I need to prophesy to him. Jesus, I'm prophesying you're holy, you're faithful, you're all that in a bag of chips. And my brain is going, I don't believe nothing I'm saying. But the blood was prophesying 
I was prophesying, I was the vehicle of prophecy that the blood was prophesying to him. I walked out of that meeting, I'm like, Lord, I don't believe none of that. So he says, thank God you weren't speaking for yourself. And since when do you challenge my blood? The blood of Jesus prophesies. The blood of Jesus speaks of forgiveness. The blood of Jesus testifies in the courts of heaven. Number four, the blood of Jesus testifies against the accusations of Satan. Listen, when, when you go into that Zechariah scripture, he had dirt. Renew his robe of righteousness. Renew that. Number five, the blood of Jesus speaks of Jesus' faithful and legal nature. The blood of Jesus speaks of Jesus' passion for the people of God to win for the lamb the reward of his suffering. Jesus' blood is crying out for everything he spilled it for to become a reality in our lives. Higby, Joel, I rest my case. My attorney will speak on my behalf from this moment on. Listen, you know what's funny? When I told him I didn't want to come here, my ne- I, I, I have three older sisters. And my second sister is, and I are trust, uh, trustees of my dad's trust. And we have a sister that we a divorce. And in the divorce, I thought she was wrong. And I said she was wrong. It didn't go over well. And we haven't spoken in three and a half years. She's been mad at me. I don't know why. Such a personality that would never offend anybody. So my niece comes, and we're sitting on my back porch. And this is about the time I'm irritated with Higby and Ralphie here about the courts. My niece is talking about Aunt Margaret, my sister. How I, I'm asking her. I'm asking her questions. How do I fix? I know I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to fix this. I didn't want to because I want to be right. Oh, oh, you know that thing where Jesus shows up after the cross, breathes on his disciples, and said, "Hey, whoever sends you forgive, they'll be forgiven. Whoever sends you retain, they'll retain." You know that one? I'd rather retain them. But you know why? Because he says to be to my disciple, take up your cross daily. Jesus said to me one day, because you won't forgive sin, you want to drag them to my cross so you can hear their repentance. I've got an ego problem. I'm working on it. But that's why we drag them to Jesus' cross instead of declaring them innocent because we want to hear them repent. Dude, that isn't what the blood does. The blood says you're innocent. You know why we don't give innocence away? Because we don't feel innocent. So I'm wrestling with this court stuff. I'm strategizing with my niece. I lay in bed that night, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, isn't that pretty interesting? You're strategizing with your niece on earth, but you won't give me a yes in heaven. So why? He says, I've been trying to get you to court over this family stuff because you are the family leader, and you won't even come. Dang it. Next day at church, we have a supernatural move of the Holy Ghost, and we have communion. One of my elders goes up, I don't know why, but this communion's different. This is a communion in heaven where your yes actually means something. I'm like, oh, man. So I publicly repent because that's what I do. Tell the whole story. Yep, last night I was.
And so the next day, I'm feeling good about myself. And the Lord says, sometimes you don't know what a yes in heaven will bring. Don't be surprised. Well, my sister who we control her trust, I get summonsed. She's suing me. I'm like, well, that stinks. He goes, yeah, you wouldn't show up in court, so she's going to drag you to court. And by the way, you have to talk to your other sister now, won't you? Why? He's healed our family over a court case. I talked to Joel. We're good, right? We're going to win. But isn't it interesting that I'm resisting this court stuff because I'm a knucklehead, and God uses it in the natural to where I go, God, I need help. Daddy, I'm going to show up. I'm going to, why? Because I have an adversary, and only you can handle the adversary. Because if I do, I'll do something mean, I'll do something stupid. And I won't do it your way. So here's what we're going to do real quick, because we're not quite done. We're going to take a quick bathroom break. All right? We only got three downstairs, and we have two upstairs. All right? They're here. But when we come back in, because I'm going to hand over and have Brian share for a stretch, because we want to continue to build on something, right? This isn't just a, hey, we got three sessions and we're happy with sessions. There's a foundation that's being laid so that we together, you hear this, can step into something. This isn't about the preachers figuring something out. This is about, this is about the family of God becoming fathers and mothers in a region and taking responsibility for this region. Amen? All right, so let's just take a couple minutes, if you don't mind. If you don't need to use the restroom, stand in here, fellowship, and we'll be back here in a few minutes. I introduce Charlie. This is Higby. Uh, everybody say hi, Higby. His first name's Brian, but we just call him Higby. And for the longest time, he was a figment of my imagination until Kelly got to meet him in the flesh. Um. Brian pastors up in uh, Pennsylvania, and, and again, um, the, the joy it's been over the years to, to sit in many, many uh, kingdom sessions just talking about the kingdom and fathering, and I've learned as much about fathering and leadership from Brian um, as I've learned from anybody, and so it's an onyx session, so, and we are recording this as well, so I know there's some quick notes happening or whatever, so you'll be able to go back. We'll make sure you guys get the links. Hey, everybody. How are we doing today? How many excited about lunch? Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, I, you know, real Texas barbecue is a real treat for me. I'm from Pennsylvania. So, yeah, uh, yeah we, we do what they, they call barbecue up there, but it's just burning meat, you know. <laughs> hey, I, I want to give you a little bit of significance of, of this weekend. You know, you talked about, I, I love what you said about restoring the seats, taking the seats of authority. I think that's so huge. For me, my involvement in this is extremely important. Um, to the day, 20 years ago, is the last time that I have been in New Braunfels. Wow. My wife and I were told by a prophet about 23 years ago that our quiver was not full. We had had two children very quickly. We were married very young. Uh, ladies, don't hate me, Okay. But, but the truth is that, that we had a tube legation because we thought, well, you know, two kids, that's how many you're supposed to have, and, uh, and so that's it. We didn't pray about it. We didn't ask God about it. We just kind of took authority over a place that God wanted to have some voice in, 
and we didn't listen to that voice. And so years later, God said to us, hey, uh, we need to have more children. Well, if, if God, if, if you want us to have more children, then, um, you know, do a miracle, you know, uh, because my wife, her tubes are tied, the, you know, the plumbing is plugged. So we, we uh, just began to believe God for a miracle. We, I mean, we, we violently believed for a miracle. We, we declared and we called out and we laid hands on. I, I take that right. Anyway, uh, but we, you know, the problem was every month there was severe disappointment. God was a trooper, man. She just, and, and it just wasn't occurring, and it, and it got pretty severe. I mean, when, when the indication would come that she wasn't pregnant, it just her heart would break every month. And so, so I went to uh, the, the guy that I was kind of looking to is, is my, my leader, my mentor, and I said, man, I said, what's up? What, here's the circumstance twice a prophet of God, a, a, a national, and I'm sorry, an international prophet of God pointed us out in a crowd and said, your quiver's not full. So we believe that is the word of the Lord. How many of you know sometimes when you get the word of God, it's going to be challenged severely by darkness? And, and the attempt is to, and he said, listen, he said, one of the principles you repented of, of taking authority over your pre- reproductive process without talking to God, and he said, part of the process of repentance is undoing everything you can undo. Physically, you are able to... So we said, okay, that's obviously the path. We're leaving room for God to do a supernatural miracle, but, but we go to McGee Women's Center in Pittsburgh, and we find that, yep, they can do it. Uh, all indications by the sonogram are she's healthy and everything is good. She's now at this time 40 years old, so you better get it moving, guys. And, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and, and I said, well, you know, being the practical person I am, what, what's this going to cost roughly? Because it's not covered by health insurance. And they said, ah, oh, no worries. It's somewhere around 26000 And, you know, uh, at that time, I was, I was a pastor in business, um, but... We didn't, we didn't have an extra 26000 but we just didn't have the ability to enter into that kind of agreement at that point. And so we said, okay, we're again at a roadblock. God, what do we do? And so we, we prayed. I mean, listen, we violently prayed. We, we, we knew what God was saying, the place in our lives. Now we were 20 then, we're, we're 40 now, and we want more kids. And somebody out of the blue says, hey... Listen, there are these two doctors in this town called New Braunfels, Texas. And these two guys, as a ministry, listen to this, as a ministry to pastors and leaders, men and women in spiritual leadership who who took authority over their reproductive process, will, as a ministry, help undo that process. We're like, wait, what? And then, and then I kind of got, I kind of got the picture of it, like in the back of a church on a on a pew, with a dimly lit light, rusty scalpels, guys shindabakasanda. It's like, no man, this this nah, ha, ha. 
nah, this is too weird, you know? I, I'm a Yankee. Don't hate me, all right? Wow, this, nah, I just can't see it. And so, so we, we checked him out on the internet. The internet was just really starting then, right? And we checked him out, and man, it seemed kind of legit. And then we called them, and these people sounded amazing. And the doctor said to us, they said, listen, actually, both doctors got on the phone with us. And, and they said, listen, come down, schedule the appointment. Here's what you got to pay for. You got to pay for our malpractice insurance. You got to pay for a minimal charge at the hospital. And, and look, you come down, check us out. If, you're, if you're, you get a green light from God, then we'll move forward with the procedure. We can't remember their names. I would love to just thank them for what they've done. But, but we went through the procedure the whole thing, flight, hotels, everything was like between four and six thousand dollars, which we were easily able to do. And within a month and a half, Janice was pregnant again. And we, we kind of calculate that if if we were if we were actually um, if if we didn't have the tubulation reversal, we'd have thirty five children right now. So. Uh, but, but, but listen to this. So what, what, what's even more interesting, the last time I did a fast was 20 years ago. I was fasting, a 40-day fast when I came here. I was in the midst of a 40-day fast when I came here. The next time I did a 40-day fast, I just ended on eating. That wasn't like, how do you do the math on that? And, 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 and so my wife is sitting across the, the dinner table from me, and, and in the morning we spend time with the Lord She's down at that end, and she looked, you going to New Braunfels now? She said, the Lord caused us to again be fruitful in that season. He's going to cause a fruitfulness because of who you are now. Your authority is not just in the local church and not just in this region, but, but you have influence and effect over a, a bigger scope, what you're putting your hand to. There's a fruitfulness that is being restored to the body of Christ. Look, we've, we've taken a hit over the last couple of years. Come on, somebody. You know, I, I believe COVID was necessary from the standpoint of God used it for the purpose of revealing the hearts of people that were keeping their heart hidden because it was so awkward for them to step away from what their heart really wanted to be stepped away from. But COVID allowed them the ability to covertly move away and, and it revealed the heart. But what it did, it brought a purification to the body of Christ. And what it's going to do for those folks is when you step away from a good thing, you start to feel it after a while, and you realize, hey, I've been part of a good thing. I need to return. Somebody talked about the returning of those um, who, who need to come back to the house, the, the prodigals. Amen? Amen. So, so for me, it's, it's really, really important for me to be here. And uh, I, j I just want to say that I am not a figment of Jay's imagination. <laughs> Kelly, for the longest time, heard about this, this Higby character. By the way, my first name is Brian, and you're welcome to call me that. My spiritual father, Jack Taylor, I don't think he knew my first name because he always called me Higby, and he's actually introducing us one time. Charlie and I, he was introducing, and he said, and this is my son, Charlie, and this is my son, Higby. <laughs> I was like... He still loves me. I know he does. I know he does. All right. All right. Here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to take, we're just going to take a couple more minutes. Do I, do I got another five minutes or so? Okay. 
I, I, wanna, I, I want you to understand, I, I got into the courts of the Lord by, by the Lord saying to me, listen, you're taking responsibility. I want you to have greater authority. And their enemy, he, he is a legalist. He is called the accuser of the brethren. That word accuser is a court term. It is, it is meant um, to, and, you know, and, and Paul talks about this in Second Peter, for pulling down strongholds. Every one of those words, strongholds, high things, thoughts, arguments, every one of them can be traced back to courts. Every one of them. And, and, and I, can, I can show you that after lunch uh, to give you kind of some of that foundation. But my point is this, that look, how many of you have ever functioned in a courtroom as a judge, as an attorney, uh, or, or as either a plaintiff or a defendant? Let me just throw your hands up real quick. As not a spiritual court, but, but in a natural court, as either a judge, an attorney, a plaintiff, or a defendant. Let me see your hands real quick. Okay, less than half in the room have functioned in that regard. Now, as time goes on, some of you may be engaged in those kind of things. My point is this, that not everyone functions on that level in the courts. Even in natural life, a portion of this whole walk and the authority, the spiritual authority that we're walking in, but it is an important part. And without it, all the other parts get unraveled. Without the courts, we don't have the ability in our nation, without the courts, we don't have the ability to keep the executive branch, the president, and, and all the bureaucracy of, of the executive branch, nor the legislative branch in check. It is the courts that have the ability to keep in balance the authority of the United States. It's required in the spiritual realm to have that authority in the judicial courts to keep in balance the authority that you as sons and daughters of God are expected to look. There's not a big grid for it. Like, no, th there might be two books out there. As a matter of fact, as I was sitting in my office and I was preparing notes uh, to come down here, my wife called me. And she said, you know, she said, you're, you're actually, you're, you're writing out, will be my next one. All right, with that being said, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to enter into my world. That, that I, as a, as a believer, I as a son of God, I as a person carrying a measure of spiritual authority, I have a particular function and a particular way that God deals with me and God allows me to function. I'm not saying that everyone here will function in that capacity. I'm sharing with you as possibly a glimpse or invitation that you may too operate in some way similar. But I offer this to you as, as a means by which to give you the kind of grid that we're operating on and to give you some basis by which this is going to function. I'm going to reach my dining room table. I'm early in the morning when there's no one else around. And I'm in the presence of God. I ascend into the courts of the Lord. I, the word of God says that we're seated with him in heavenly places. You believe that? Bang your hands together. Right? Okay. When No matter where you're seated in God, you're in his courts. Which court? Well, that's important. That I can see there, there are three breakdowns of courts of heaven. 
the executive branch, that's the branch of, of the courts of God that actually get things done. It's the functional part of heaven. Then you have the legislative part. He's the head of all three, by the way. The legislative part of the courts of God are there places where he reveals his will. The, the law, if you will, but not the law of sin and death, but the law of spirit of life. So you have that, but then you have the judicial part where a conflict is occurring between the will of God and what is actually occurring. And we, as the people of God, are given the position to enter in. Listen, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what do you do when there's a conflict? You have to resolve that conflict. How do you resolve that conflict? Oftentimes we resolve it by means of prayer and those are into in order to deal with those issues on a higher level. Does that make sense? For example, when it says in the Word of God that, that God determines who our rulers are going to be, right? Isn't it he who puts our governors and our rulers in place? One of the first times I was invited into the courts of the Lord was November 3rd of 2012. It was at 3, 3 a.m., that, that I began taking these notes. And I'm just going to read it to you as I wrote it. I was asked by heaven to go into the courts. I was taken by an angel into the courtroom that will decide who is elected president. When I arrived, I saw several. I asked the angel who they were. The black represented evil interests. The gray interests that were neutral. The ones that were neutral wanted to do good, but from the strength of man. Then Jesus and some of his men arrived and landed in the courtroom. They were going to weigh in, giving their representation of the decision. But then evil accused, it was clear that Jesus agreed. And I heard him say, it is true. But what concerns me is not who they choose, but how they choose. With much malice and self-interest they choose. I perceived at that moment a sadness within Jesus. This would be what causes him to separate those whose eros has become so great that they cannot any longer represent him. I saw Charlie Coker there, a man named Kevin that I did not know, and a man named Ian who I had been listening to recently, and seven or eight others of their familiarity. The room was large, held hundreds of people. The bench was far, yet I heard everything. To those who did not know the Father... His face closer, I saw his face, his expression, his wonderful eyes. The father said, angels. And they all stood to attention like a well-disciplined army coming to attention. It was awesome to hear them thundering to attention. Get my prophets, bring them to me, for I must have them speak to you in the room. The father said, prophets. And I was surprised at how slowly and almost disrespectfully many of the prophets came to attention almost as though they were peers of the Father. Many of their robes were partially black, soiled. It seemed like they did not notice they were soiled. I looked around the room and saw a particular prophet with a very light gray robe. When I went near him, he rolled back the hem of his sleeve, which revealed a pure, bright, almost translucent robe. He gave a slight smile, as if he knew what I was thinking. He looked at me and said, new here, huh? I said, yes, sir. It'll be okay. You'll learn. Pay very close attention to the bench and the Lord. Be too concerned with the black robes. They're always a step or two behind Jesus, always. 
The gray robes are interested in preserving the earth for the earth's sake. They have a love for the earth, and sometimes that is useful, and sometimes it's just annoying. Okay, now pay attention. They landed. They were all kneeling, one knee, on one knee with their head bowed. The father began to speak. I want you to prophesy to the earth, receive my love or reject it. There is no other way. The father said this to the prophets. Then he looked at me, and he said, come here. Take your place among them. I was lifted and taken to the front and knelt as well. The father said, you feel uncomfortable because you're not exactly like them. You'll get comfortable, but you're not like them. You're not only a prophet, you're an apostle, one who obtains the blueprint. I looked back at Charlie. He was very nonchalantly listening, yet not kneeling. The Lord knew my question and responded, some. And I asked, I said, Lord, do men's egos even follow them here? He said, son, the way that men behave on the earth is the way they behave here. That's why so many cannot come here. It is for time... It is time for you to go. And with that, I, Charlie, and the others took off. The Lord at 6.53 a.m. I was at the double doors of the courtroom, and the doors were opened by the angels guarding. I went into the courtroom. It was the same that I was in before. Many of the same were here. I did not see anyone, but did not look for them either. I saw the Lord Jesus with his men standing in the place of witness, He said, we found a greater measure of the kingdom within him, indicating one of the candidates. One of the black robe with the hood over his head said, but he's not part of your precious church. Most of your body agree with this. Jesus said, yes, it's true, but the kingdom was found within him to a greater measure than the other. It necessarily mean that you're part of the church. There are those within the church that do not embrace the kingdom, and do what they can to benefit the church. It's kind of like a congressman who does what he can to strengthen Congress rather than the United States. The father then asked for any other testimony. No one would speak after Jesus. The father then said, I will render my decision. It will be sealed. Then as, as, as one, the court said, as, as the court all said together, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As the court was clearing, the father said to me, come here, son. I went from the back to the front, escorted by an angel who took me by the arm and flew me to the front of the bench. Son, you're witnessing these proceedings because of who you are, not what you've done. Who you are is reflected in what you do, but the reflection is never what is real. Remember the dim mirror. You understand that you are a son. You take responsibility for what is mine. Since you take responsibility, you get authority. To walk in the greatest measure of authority, you must learn the court's there will be a Congress. It will be important for you to learn to be proactive and not just observing. You will know when. I will let you know by asking you for your testimony or by asking you to act in the courts. Until then, observe and learn. I then went into the judges' chambers. This is one of my favorite places. It was an office, and I felt alone. The office had a fireplace and a leather chair, couches, and bookshelves. And we sat in the chairs, and he looked at the fire, talking to me, but not completely to me. He said, you know, mankind has been many years on this journey. At times, I was not sure they would choose to take their role. He said, that surprises you, son. There are things that I choose not to look into. I can know them, but I choose to watch and see. 
It is not that I'm act, not actively engaged in them. It is that I choose to allow men to have their will because the natural realm is limited and the eternal realm unlimited. The parallels can only go so far. Limited may not apply so absolutely in the eternal. This understanding requires a high level of maturity. Men have not learned to trust me, but only have learned to trust my written word My, yeah, my written in their lives. Even men who have reached this level of maturity that do not remain careful will find themselves in confusion. But following Holy Spirit brings clarity, not confusion. I said, Father, I love you. You know that. He said, yes, I do. I said, why is it sometimes so difficult to pray? See, one of the beauties of, of being in the courts of the Lord, especially in the chambers with the Father, is, is you, you get to ask questions that have perfect answers to them. And there's so much to discover. He said, son, in this realm, when you ask what is available to you, you have it. That's a principle. When you're in the realm of heaven, whatever it would be difficult for me to pray as I have in the past because my understanding in the courts has changed things. He said, what would you like, son? I looked into his eyes for the answer, but did not see it. This was not a leading question, but one that was open. He said, Father, I'm not sure how to answer. He said, I know, son, because you do not yet understand how often we chuckled and then explains. Son, you must figure out what you want. Remember what you taught add to virtue knowledge. Spend time in my presence, and you'll know what you want. It is good to know. That means you're not comfortable with what you desire, so you're looking for kingdom desire. He said, son, that is top shelf. It was interesting. I finished here, and my boys had come to the dinner table, and this was early in the morning, and they pointed out that there was a hawk that was sitting on a tree very, very close to the house. And we've seen this red-tailed hawk before, but never that close to the house. And, of course, the hawk, the eagle, represent the prophetic. That I've asked the Lord for confirmation just the other day, I was feeling a little nervous about coming here and was spending time with the Lord. And, and the Lord immediately uh, he says, listen, just, just get into your devotional. We have a devotional set that we read through the Bible once a year. We go the whole way through. And that particular day, grab that verse, Jeremiah 12.1. I just want you to read it for me real quick. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You know, any time you have question about this stuff, because there's no grid, we're exploring the kingdom of God. The invitation is open. It's never so you can regret something you don't have. It's always an invitation to come into something that is available to you. There is an, uh, the most powerful and most effective uh, invitation for you that God is, is opening up for you to self has placed on your life. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's available for whosoever will. Are you with me? 
And so let's just kind of pause right there. And uh, yeah, let's do. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, we, we just thank you for being here. We thank you that you're going to be here in, uh, in just a little while as we return. We ask, Lord God, that you would just bless the time that we're eating or fellowshipping or whatever we're doing in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you. And all the people of God said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.